Hey, this is Lee Snow, the preacher for the Warm Springs Road Church of Christ here in Columbus, Georgia. And you have found our podcast. We hope that this message inspires you, that it equips you, and that it builds your faith in Jesus Christ like never before. If you have any questions or you want to tell us your story, we'd love to hear from you. Please feel free to reach out at any time. We are here for you. We're here for each other. Most importantly, we're here for the Lord. chapter 23 we're going to read through and study the um, crucifixion of Jesus or at least Luke's account of the crucifixion of Jesus this afternoon it's interesting that the, the, the we're specifically going to focus on the three people that were at the crucifixion on the cro- or the two rather uh, that were at the crucifixion on crosses on either side of Jesus and it's interesting that um, when, you, when you study the character and some of the wording that is used to talk about those people, that everyone falls into one of those two categories um, of, of their personality and the way that they're interacting with Jesus. So in order to, to see that, we need to read the text, and then we'll, we'll study that as we go through. But let's start in Luke chapter 23, verse number um, 26. Luke 18, verse 20, or sorry, Luke 23 Verse 26, and as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, these days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Now that statement is so strange. It doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense when you first read it until you realize the setting that was about to happen after Jesus was crucified and after he was resurrected and and then after 50 days later when when Pentecost would happen and the church was was established you, you had deep deep persecution of the followers of God in the first century and then even more so in the second century once the apostles are passed away and once once the the Roman government realizes that there's a difference between the the Christians and the Jews because in the first century they just thought that they were all the same they thought that that Jews and Christians were basically the same. It's just that the Christians are another sect of the Jews, like the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the, the Essenes or the Zealots. You've heard of those names. The Pharisees are the, the legalistic ones. The Sadducees are the ones that use their faith to promote their politics. The Essenes are the, uh, if you had to make a modern-day equivalent, they'd be the, the Amish Jews. They're the ones that moved out into the middle of nowhere and they, they started communities in, in the desert so that they could be separate. In fact, they're the ones that wrote and copied the Dead Sea Scrolls that then they'd take their Bibles, they'd hide them in caves, and th- a thousand years later, over a thousand years later, we'd find them in a cave, and now we have uh, copies of the Old Testament from them. The zealots, the, the religious mercenaries, the, the, the religious terrorists of the day, and the Romans thought that the Christians are just another. 
It's kind of weird. Their leader died. We don't really understand. But after they realized that Jews and Christians were different, that Christians were the fulfillment, well, they didn't really understand that, but that Christians were the fulfillment of the Old Testament, that, that they were the fulfillment of the people of Israel, then they started persecuting Christians so much that what Jesus says would come true, that, that people would say it would have been better for us not to have children because now they're having to deal with their parents being arrested and their parents being killed for their faith. And now what, what are we going to, we're going to make a bunch of little Christian orphans running all around. The, see, that's what he's talking about. He's, he's saying, don't weep for me. I want you to weep for yourselves and for your children because you're, you're followers of me, at least some of them were. And it's going to come a time when, when you're going to go through something that's much similar to what I'm going through. Oh, of course, not as, not as difficult. Verse 32, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they were crucified. Uh, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, forgive Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. Both the rulers, uh, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, "He saved others; let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, the chose, his chosen one." So the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, "If, if you're the King of the Jews, save yourself." That brings to picture what we talked about this morning, that he became a curse, that, that people would deride him and hate him for what he was doing because they, they didn't understand what was going on. Over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It is now about the sixth hour and the fifth hour while the sun's light failed. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances, and the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. All right, so let's dive into these two different people that are with him. And, and I found this, uh, this, this outline in, a, in an old um, sermon book a long time ago, and I've, I've had it, and I've never preached the outline. And so the, these points are not really original with me, but it makes, makes a lot of sense when you think about it. So number one, the cross of rebellion, verse, verse, 20, verse 39, rather. One of the criminals who were railed, or hanged with him railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself from us. The cross of rebellion. If, if you think about what's happening, the, these men on these crosses have a better sight of what is going on than anyone else. You have the Christians 
the, the followers of him that are standing off behind everyone else and they're watching and they're looking, we read at the end. And then you have the people that, that are just looking for the spectacle. Then you have the, the people that are Roman soldiers that are standing beside the cross and implementing whatever needs to be done and offering him the sour wine and so forth. And then you have these two guys who have the best vantage point of the entire group. This man can see what is happening. He's seen what happened to Jesus before. Maybe not the scourging in the trial, but he's seen the walk up because they were walking with him. He's seen everything else. And now he's, he's well, as the ESV says, he rails at him. Hebrews chapter 3 uh, verse 7 says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. It's the same concept. The Israelites had seen God working. They had the best vantage point of what was going on. And they still, the text says, they hardened their hearts in rebellion. They hardened their hearts. That's what this this man has. He, he, I mean, if anyone, could you imagine seeing what is going on and you're being put to death too and for whatever reason, your heart is so hard that you are now taking the side of the people that are killing you, right? Think about it. The Roman soldiers are at the base of the cross making fun of him. They say if he's the Christ, if he's the chosen one, then why can't he get himself down? And this guy who's dying with him is doing the same thing. You've chosen the wrong team. You're you're choosing the, the, the side of the people that are killing you because your heart is so hard that you can't imagine, can't imagine giving some sort of sympathy to someone who is in the same situation as you. Jude chapter uh, 1, because there's only one chapter, verse 11. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned them. This is talking about the Israelite people. They walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast. These people that are causing issues in the church, different issues than we're dealing with, as we go through the book of Galatians on Sunday mornings, but, but still, issues. They're dealing with these issues. They have hard hearts, and, and Jude says they're exactly the same as the Israelite people. They're the same type of mentality. And when they come to your love feast, that's their fellowship meals. Uh, it's it's a, an agape meal, agape feast. It's, it's essentially what we call a fellowship meal, or a potluck, or church on the grounds, or, or din- sorry, dinner on the grounds. And so... They're hidden reefs at your love feasts because they're, they're under the water causing problems. They feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves. They're, they're their own shepherds. They think they're their own shepherds. Waterless, waterless clouds swept up by winds, fruitless trees, twice dead uprooted, wild waves, and so forth, for whom the gloom and of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Peter says they're blots and blemishes reveling at their deceptions. That's basically what, you know, if we're looking at these two people on the crosses beside Jesus and we're trying to see how can we fit into one of those, you have one group of people that have the ability to see what God has done or what God is by his providence doing today. 
by miraculous abilities to the acts of men, but through providence. And, and we're so hardened that we have the ability to choose the side of the people that, that are harming us, as it were. That's one side. This, this heart of rebellion, this, this hard-hearted inability to, to have any compassion on Jesus and His sacrifice. I mean, when it comes down to it, our being Christians is an act of compassion in that we're seeing what Jesus did. We're understanding how horrible it was. And we're willing to do whatever it takes to help Him, to, to show Him that we love Him, and, and to, to be on, as it were, His side. All right, number two, the other cross, the, the man that answers. Now, this guy is usually called the thief on the cross. You've heard that statement before. We'll talk about the thief on the cross thing in a minute. But, but first, let's get his, a picture of his, his attitude toward what's going on. Verse 40. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. So here's my question. What is repentance? What is repentance? 2 Corinthians 12, verse 21 says, I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. What is repentance? I'm going to argue that what Paul is doing in 2 Corinthians when he says that is an act of repenting. All right, I'm going to let you into a little secret, okay? Sometimes I like to leap, I like to open the curtain into the life and, and ministry side so that y'all know how, how we think sometimes because sometimes we overthink things, but sometimes we don't. I'm going to let you into a little insight. Every preacher who reads 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20 and 21 and on down through the rest of the chapter can understand exactly what Paul is thinking. He's, he's repenting in this verse because we take it personal when people don't listen to God. Okay? Now, that makes no sense, does it? I, it doesn't matter what you do. If I teach you the truth and you don't follow it, that's your problem. That's your deal, right? That's what Ezekiel says and so forth. But even then, Paul says, I'm really scared that when I come to you, I'm going to realize that I might have not done my entire job. And even though he did do his job, and he did preach the gospel, and the people did learn the truth, some of them fell away, he takes it personally. And he says, I'm scared that when I come, I'm going to find out that you didn't, you didn't continue in the faith. And what's that got to say about me? That's a, that's, that statement is an act of repentance. That statement is, I, I hope I've done what I need to do, but if I haven't, I don't know what's going to happen. Now, then he asks, th- then he says this, and have not repented. He, he wants those people to repent. He wants those people 
to understand. And what if they have it? Then what happens? Well, the truth is they, they have. 1 Corinthians is written with all these problems, right? You have, oh, let's just name a couple of them. You don't like each other. Faith feasts, your love feasts. You, uh, you will put food out, but you'll tell so-and-so, you know, um, Jim, I'm sorry, but th- this food isn't for you. This is, this is, this is for Miss Jimmy, right? Um, I don't know why I use those names, but I love both of y'all. Anyways, so they, they had that problem. They also had the problem that those people that they didn't like very much were late to services sometimes. And so when they noticed that they were late to services, they'd go ahead and take the Lord's Supper before they got there to isolate them so that they didn't have to deal with them, right? So they didn't have to be in, in unity with them. That's why in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, if you take the Lord's Supper, not to the Lord. That's not talking about the bread. That's not talking about the bread and the juice. It's talking about if you take the Lord's Supper and don't understand what the church is, you don't understand what you're doing. They also had this problem that they thought that they were bigger because, better because they, they had, well, I can speak in tongues. Well, congratulations. Well, I can prophesy. Well, congratulations. They also had this problem where they thought that my preacher is better than your preacher, and I was taught the gospel by Peter, and you were taught the gospel by Paul, and Peter walked with Jesus, and Paul didn't, so I'm better than you. I'm a better Christian than you because my teacher walked with Jesus, and your teacher just met Jesus on a road and couldn't even see him when he met him, so... What kind of teacher is that, right? They had a lot of problems in in Corinth. And he writes this book and he says, what in the world are you thinking? Get it together, people. And then 2 Corinthians, he says, I'm really scared that when I get there, I'm going to realize that those people that I wrote that book to didn't do what I told them to do. They didn't repent of the sins that they were doing. And maybe that's going to play a, a part in... Maybe I played a part in that. So he's repenting. He wants these people to repent. That's what repentance is. It's this, this, it is a change of mind that leads to a change of action. But what does that mean? We say that and we don't know what it means. A change of mind that leads to a change of action. It is the understanding that I sometimes get it wrong and I hope and I pray that I won't get it wrong anymore. That's what it is. Acts chapter 8 and verse 22. Repent therefore of the wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. That's what a Christian does. He repents. He, he understands that he stumbles at times. And he wants to not, ha- not have that happen again. So he prays to the Lord that if possible... The intent of your heart may be forgiven you. So that's the second cross. The third cross is the cross of redemption, which is in verse 44. This is Jesus. It was now about the sixth hour of dark, darkness fell over the whole land. The temple curtain is torn in two. Jesus calls out with a loud spirit, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathes his last. The centurion looks up and says, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that it assembled for, the, for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned to their home, beating their breasts. It's interesting to me that he has these two guys on the cross, on the crosses, on the hill with him, 
right? On Golgotha or Calvary. Not cavalry. Calvary. Cavalry is the people that ride horses. Calvary is the, the hill that Jesus died on. He's on this hill, on this cross, with two guys beside him. And regardless of how they act, he still does what he needs to do. That their actions have no bearing on what he has done or what he is doing. And that's true of these two categories of people. If you rebel against God, it doesn't change the fact that he died for your sins. Okay? It just doesn't. You have people that say, well, I don't believe God is real. There are some people who are honest, who have looked at the evidence, and say, I don't believe that God is real. Those people didn't look at the evidence close enough. They may be honest, but they don't understand what they're looking at. Then you have the people that say, I don't believe God is real because they know the implications of that is, if he is real, then I need to follow him. And then that means I need to figure out which religion is right to follow him. And then I've got to figure out what it puts work on me if I admit that he's real. So I'll just admit that he's not, right? And even if that's the kind of person that we're talking about, doesn't change the fact that he is, doesn't change the fact that he died, doesn't change the fact that he that he has offered a way of salvation. And then the same is true for repentance. Even if we don't repent, it doesn't change anything about what's going on. All right, so now let's, let's dive back into this. Now that we've seen these two groups of people, let's dive back into this thief on the cross because I, I believe personally, if we're going to talk about the, this man, if we're going to mention this man, we need to, we need to give some, some thoughts on it because the fact is that I can name five times in the last month that I have talked to a person who is lost, who has brought up the thief on the cross. And if it is that probable that it's going to be brought up, we need to know what we're talking about, right? So let's put our study of the two types of people aside for just a minute. Let's talk about the thief on the cross, and then we'll come back to those two types of people in a minute. All right, so first off, verse number 40. I just want to go through and... I'm going to give you some things to underline, and then we'll talk about why. Verse 40. The other rebuked him, saying, underline this, do, not, do you not fear God? Okay? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, all right, underline, has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, underline that, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Underline that. Now, why did we underline all those things? This guy has a pretty good idea of who he's talking to, right? This isn't, this isn't some guy that he just heard, hey, this guy is supposed to be the Christ. This is someone that he knows more than that about. Everyone around him is just saying, Oh, if you're the Christ, get down. They don't even know what Christ is, right? They don't know what the Messiah is, but they've heard that, and so they're repeating that. Same as a person who you talk to that, that is investigating religion, maybe, or just asking about the church, and they say, aren't you the people that think you're the only ones going to heaven? Aren't you the people that don't use instruments in worship? They've just heard that before. They don't know what they're They're not trying to be rude. They're not trying to be argumentative. They've just heard that before, and so that's what they say. Well, that's those rest of the people. This guy knows, number one, what fearing God is. Number two, 
He knows that Jesus has done nothing wrong, which means he has to know something about the life of the man. Because as the text says, it seems as though they just came in contact with him on the way to Calvary. Right? So he obviously knows something about his life. He knows his name. And then he knows something about the kingdom. Okay, so, well, the thief on the cross wasn't baptized. That's true. Number one, baptism wasn't enacted until Jesus died on the cross. And the church was established. And the New Testament came into power. Which means he didn't have to be baptized. Number two, number two, he obviously knows who Jesus is, knows about his kingdom. Well, who's the guy that started preaching about the kingdom first? John, and John was baptizing people. So if, if, if you're going to say that you had to be baptized under John's baptism if you were alive during Jesus' life, that's fine. This, uh, this guy, very well. In fact, I'm going to say it's pretty pop, probable that this man is a follower of Jesus, who was a follower of John. This man was a follower of John, then a follower of Jesus, rather. I'm going to say that's pretty pop- probable because he knows all this stuff about him. Number three, which is the trump card. Verse 43, if Jesus says you're going to go to paradise, then you're going to go to paradise. That's just how it works thing is he's not telling anyone audibly individually that you're going to paradise anymore because he's not here to tell you so that was ruled out as well now all that being said those people that say that statement fall into one of these two categories maybe they're doing it because they just don't care maybe they're do maybe they're saying well the thief on the cross wasn't baptized because Because they're hard-hearted. I'm going to tell you that a person who is hard-hearted now may not be hard-hearted 10 years down the road. I told you the story about a person, a a very good friend of mine, who was in the trumpet section in college. He despised the church. When he found out that I had obeyed the gospel, man, he, I became his punching bag for jokes. He did not like the church. And then last week, he, he emails me and says, hey, I need you to tell me what you believe about baptism. I it wrong. So a hard-hearted person may not be hard-hearted forever. But also, chances are, they're part of that second group, the, the, the cross of repentance, and they just don't understand what they're doing. They don't understand what they're saying. And if someone will contact, someone will show them, then they'll obey the gospel. You know, the, the, the story of the cross is um, important for, I mean, it, it changed everything about humanity, right? It gave, us, it gave us the way of salvation. It started later, would then be established through the 3,000 people that are baptized on the day of Pentecost that would then grow to, to hundreds of thousands of people by the end of the first century, maybe millions of people by the end of the first century. And then some people would break away over the years. But, I mean, when it, when it boils down to it, that event changes all of human history. Why are those two men recorded? 
You know what's not recorded? The statements of the people in the crowd. You know what's not recorded? The statements of the Roman soldiers as they're sitting there casting lots and gambling for his clothes. Why are these men's statements recorded? Because the personality behind them. You have one of rebellion and one of repentance, and both, neither one changes what's going to happen. It's going to happen because it's going to happen because God's going to have his plan done regardless of what men do, right? So if you need to become a Christian this afternoon um, and a follower of Jesus, then let me tell you this. You must be baptized. I know the thief on the cross wasn't baptized when he was talking to Jesus, but it's very well that he was before. And even then, he had a trump card that you and I just don't have. We don't have Jesus telling us we're going to heaven. We have Jesus telling us, if you live a life of faith, Galatians 3, 10 through 14, if you live a life of faith and you're forgiven of your sins and you're in Christ, then you have forgiveness and then you go to heaven. That's the only thing we have. Somebody says, what happens if a person is in the middle of the desert and he never hears about the gospel and he dies? I don't know. All I know, it's not my job to determine whether or not he gets to go to heaven. All I know is Jesus told us we need to do this. And going back to what we talked about in 2 Corinthians 12, I hope it's not my fault that he never heard about it. If you need to become a Christian this afternoon, we're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement, and you can let us know while we do that.